This podcast mainly serves as a chance for me to catch up and talk shop with various musicians. These are the people I know. I mean, in my line of work, it's hard to venture outside of its tight-knit circles. After a while, having what you do constantly scrutinized publicly can naturally pull you inwards and leave you withdrawn. Over the years, I've noticed that about myself. It's not one person's fault. Most of the people I come across in passing are quite friendly. But after being in this band for about 18 years, I'm always on my guard and ready to defend this band at the drop of a hat. It's an us-against-the-world mentality that I've always assumed. Let's face it, we're not exactly a kumbaya band. We won't be doing covers of Shiny Happy People or Don't Worry, Be Happy anytime soon. So when you have lyrics and music like we have, you got to be prepared for the polarizing fallout. Now, there is another group of people that I find a kinship with, that I find fascinating to talk to and to talk about. Comedians. As a performer, I find the job of stand-up comedian to be incredibly difficult. The idea that it is assumed you can make people laugh, any given group of people, regardless of societal background, is daunting. At least to me it is. I play music. That's a universal language that cuts through everything. Just ask Iron Maiden, Femi Kuti, Andrea Bocelli, and Beyonce. But for comedy to be truly funny, one must delve into the cultural specifics that other performers have little time to do. Laughter is universal, yes, but it can only be mined under proper context. And it's ironic that when talking to comedians about comedy, things get very serious, and laughter often absent from the conversation. Take Nick Flanagan, who sometimes co-hosts this podcast with me. Nick's a stand-up comedian, and whenever the two of us talk about the comedy scene, off the record of course, it's always done humorlessly. Comedy is a serious business. So recently, when we hopped on the Motorhead motorboat cruise for four days with a bunch of bands, I was surprised and happy to find out that comedian Big J. Okerson would be on board too, recording his SDR, Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll show with Ralph Sutton. Okerson is someone that Nick Flanagan actually put on my radar when he suggested Big J. Okerson as a possible guest a year or two ago. At the time, Okerson was passing through Toronto, but for some reason, if my memory serves me correctly, I think we opted not to bother since it seemed like he was too hard to get a hold of. And now, in hindsight, that was a mistake on our part. All I did to get him on this podcast was go up to him on the first day of the cruise and say, can I do a podcast with you? Not hard at all. During the course of the cruise, I was guest on the SDR show and that set the stage for this episode with Okerson. Like I mentioned, when I get to talk to a comedian about the industry and the ins and the outs, rarely does it get funny. But make no mistake, Big J. Okerson is hysterical. Go see him live whenever you can. He's a riot. And go listen to the other podcast he co-hosts called Legion of Skanks. Things get super deep when we both realize we share a fandom for one particular comedian, and that's enough to have us going down a rabbit hole that I never really want to get out of. I want to state here that Flanagan was supposed to be on this episode, but technical difficulties prevented him from doing so, and I know he hasn't been on a few episodes in a while, but I guarantee he is due back, and so look out for Nick Flanagan. 
Thank you to Blue Mic Microphones for the Yeti mics and Skullcandy Headphones for the Aviator headphones. They work beautifully. Also, like I do for every podcast, I want to thank all the people who have left a message on iTunes or SoundCloud or on Twitter. Thanks, guys. And to the people who come up to me and say they've listened to a certain episode, there's so much out there to listen to, and knowing someone took the time out to listen to this, ramblings of me and my friends, and yada, 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 thanks. I love this episode. It's with Big J Okerson, recorded in the Chinatown Lounge on the Motorhead Motorboat Cruise. You can actually hear the hum of the boat on this one. And it starts now. The Tango Joe's Pockets is the best around They play the kid as Tango's crew I'm still over free I'm sad but I like to sometimes Jimmy in from Fucktown Stop playing Hangtown I began to notice that Danko was completely nuts He'd suddenly start making weird sounds and scary faces for no reason at all And it, it wasn't just embarrassing, it, it was alarming And now since I'm a devout Catholic I asked my local parish priest about Danko's condition And he was sure Danko was possessed by Satan so I helped my priest perform an exorcism on Danko that very day, but it didn't work. The dude is seriously screwed, and according to my parish priest, will burn in hell for all of eternity if he doesn't get himself checked out. It's the one and only, your boy, Danko Jones. Yeah, so this is the first kind of on-site podcast. I did yours last night. Yes, indeed, yeah, uh, Chinatown Lounge. I hope I I hope I represented well on your podcast. Oh, you did great! No, yeah, yeah that was a, that was uh, me and Ralph posted. That was the most fun uh, podcast we've had. We and we had like the day before that we had like a thousand people come through. Right. Just, but yesterday was the most the hardest we laughed for sure. Yeah, uh, I, I sized up the podcast right away. It's basically you ripping on Ralph. <laughs> <laughs> And that's the podcast. <laughs> Ralph, Ralph's got a uh, Ralph's got a lot of facts in his head. He yeah. spits them out, and then I make fun of his facts. Yeah. Um, well, I it, it's an interesting thing the way that you started your career, if I'm if I'm correct, in kind of in the, for lack of a better term, the black comedy. Yeah. Um, circuit or yeah, or black scene. comedy circuit. Yeah. Yeah, which is, it, it is in a scene unto itself. And then um, you're here on the motorboat, which is like the hard rock scene. The opposite of the black comedy scene. What, what, was there any kind of like change that you had to do with your comedy? There was, well, yeah, in the beginning. Well, it was Like making that transition? It was completely circumstantial doing the black comedy circuit because where I was, in, where I was at in Philadelphia. Yeah. Was uh, at the time. Now there is a few mainstream clubs down there, but at the time there was none uh, in like... 99, 2000. Oh, wow. There I'm was surprised. No, but. Yeah, there was no... Well, there were at, before that, like in the like 80s yeah, and stuff. Apparently course, there was yeah. like the Comedy Cabana or, you know, Coconuts, I think there was one called. And, there, and then the club I started at was actually called... was a punchline at one point. And then it turned into David Brenner's Laugh House. And then it became... It was just called the Laugh House when I started. And it was a black club at that point. It was like promoted heavily on the hip-hop station in town. But with that said, the benefit of it was... It was for open mic night. Like by the time I went to New York, open mic nights were, you know, five people maybe sitting in a room, and then maybe five comics also in the room, or twenty comics sometimes sitting. Yeah. In a room. But that's not a good audience, you know. And, and just performing jokes for each other and just trying to get more comfortable. When I came out of Philadelphia, the the thing that was beautiful in there was this club, this three hundred seat club, mm -hmm. 
had like 250 people in it or more every open mic night to watch. So it would just go, and it was like, so the reactions were big. And so I didn't really get to work on the craft of good joke writing in that environment. But very quickly, I just developed. I was like, oh, I learned how to make a black crowd laugh. Yeah. And so I pandered a lot. Right. But, you know, I wore the clothes that made sense for the situation and everything. I, I sold my soul a little bit. But I got very comfortable on stage, like, not being afraid to do it. And then when I started going to New York to do comedy in the mainstream clubs and trying to crack into that mainstream circuit, yeah, very quickly I just learned. I was like, they don't want to hear the joke you wrote about P. Diddy's new song or, like, you know, whatever fucking So you were tailor-making it that specific? Yeah, absolutely. That's pretty specific. And it wasn't like, but things, I'm also, I am a music fan, so I always listen to everything of yeah. always. So it wasn't like, I didn't go in there like, I didn't like... Lie. I didn't know P. Diddy's song because I was just trying to learn it so a black crowd would like me. Like, I knew the song. And then so, it, I, it, was, it was basically, it makes sense, like, I've to this day, I think I could do, I do very well if I go to do a black room. I still have, like, friends and stuff from that scene. They'll ask me to come do shows, and I'll do it in a heartbeat. I have a different approach to it. But in reference-wise, like, I just know a little bit. I think that's makes, what makes a good comedian is you just know a little bit about a lot of things. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you know a lot about one thing, you, you kind of pigeonhole yourself. If you're just politics, not that you can't succeed. You got the Bill Mars of the world, you know. But it, it, you, if, if you pigeonhole yourself like that, you better find your niche market because that's all you're going to have. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas, like, I think I can come. I've done comedy on, you know, this or not this boat, but like ship rocked and stuff before, which is like twelve thirty in the morning, metalheads drunken, whatever. I can I can keep them engaged because I know their world too. You yeah. know, I know their music, I know their culture. I know, you know, I can I come from kind of like white trashy roots as well as like you know if I was performing for a, a you know some kind of a Jewish retreat like I know people from that you know it's like I just yeah, yeah. like if you just have a little bit of an eclectic taste yeah. you can kind of branch it but all I used in those early years were like almost like my black hip hop references and stuff like that just to, to get over and then also when you're early in comedy you're just kind of like you pander anyway and you also just want to do well that's all it is you know it's like it's hard like I didn't want to bomb I hated it and then when I came to New York I said I kind of had to switch gears because then I would be performing maybe for like 12 people, five people at the end of the night, you know, they'd put me on way at the end because I was a new guy, you know, no pay, no nothing, yeah. so just, just getting on stage to get on stage, yeah. or these like, you know, basements of like, you know, there'd be chess clubs and there'd be a show in the basement, <laughs> Thai food restaurants, show in the basement, Wow. bars that just say we're going to do comedy night in the back. And How long was this? How long ago? How was long it? did you slog it out, like in in those venues for? Oh man! Well, I did my first if two years. My first, venues. yeah, my first two years, basically, were just in Philly doing like strictly black shows for the most part. So I'd go to New York, even. But I'd go to these places. Remember, they're called like the Peppermint Lounge and all these like notorious places. They were considered because it's like they go to boo you. You know, like they come to be like angry and like. You know, you're, you're bound to eat shit doing it. And they would like, I, I did that for like, just pretty much two years straight. And then I met Keith Robinson, who's a great comic, and kind of mentored. Uh, he pulled me and Kevin Hart and uh, Kurt Metzger. The three of us started together in Philadelphia. 
and he pulled the three of us and we started driving to New York from Philly like six nights a week and then like uh, just trying that that's when we started like trying to like get into those like club the mainstream clubs but you wouldn't get stage time in those clubs yet because the pros all worked there so that's when we have to go you know we drive up with Keith Robinson he was a pro he'd go work those clubs we'd go to our open mic nights and just these shitty like you know restaurant shows around the city and try to get it together but like yeah I didn't know I was trying to just I was swinging for the fences with everything but but it was good because I think growth really like is promoted by like nervous energy and like your desire to like totally. it. and also kind of knowing when you're like oh what I do won't work here I, I have to switch gears I have to learn how to switch gears and do it and that's what the mainstream comedy did for me I was like oh I can't go up there like in a black room like at the end of the day if I just start dancing put that song back on start dancing to it was that part of your act when you were oh, doing I'm just, dude, I, yeah all that you know get up to, it was always important. I still laugh to this day when I go to do comedy and I go to a club. The club I was just at in, uh, in Edmonton, Canada, oh. actually the comic strip okay. in the West Edmonton Mall. Yeah, I've the, been there. Yeah? I've been there, yeah. <laughs> I go uh, and the, you know, the guy who runs the music comes in. He goes, what song do you want to come out to? I go, that doesn't matter. Like, I'm just going to tell you to turn it off the second I get up there. It's like, what do I, you know, I'm not going to dance first. I have no routine. But I laugh because they're sure as shit there was a time though where it mattered you got the new beat nuts song Cause right. I gotta, you know because i'm gonna wait for they till they say a certain line and be like what's this dude talking about you hear that doesn't even make any sense you know and right. just try to do a joke about that right and connect in the moment which is like i'm just kind of beyond that now uh and if it makes sense also with the new mediums of like be a podcast or stuff like that like if i have like a funny joke about a goofy song i heard like you just make that on that you know it's not really a stage necessarily do you like, find doing your legion of skanks podcast do you find um the same way I've, i talk to comedian friends and they're like well i'm not gonna do that joke on twitter because i'm not gonna say that on twitter because that's a zinger that i could use on stage so doing the podcast do you find like do you come up with stuff or do you like kind of edit stuff out because you want to save it for the live show like Obviously, the live is more important than the podcast, or like, do you know, you ever find yourself going, I can't use that, I'm gonna save it for. for I never overthink it, man, I just keep talking. And in fact, the way I approach comedy now, what happened for me very much was uh, like my trajectory as far as like how I even came up with material was first I would sit down and I would try to write things out, like write out jokes. Yeah. And then I got, this is from advice from like Keith Robinson and the guys who I kind of looked up to was just like to continue, like just write and get this, the 15 minutes is pretty much what a comedy set is in like the city, in New York City. Just get the 15 minutes, that just kills. And so it, everyone just trusts that you kill. You know, when you go on stage that you hit it home run every time and get good with it. So I started doing that. But, you know, if you're a funny, if you're a naturally funny person, if you're a guy who's in business and you, and you there's a lot of comedians who are not very funny people but they learned how to like turn a joke, you know, turn a phrase, and and it's make almost it like the the like the schooled way, like you take a class or something. Almost, yeah. Or some guys just know they're just witty, you know. What I mean, they're kind of like dry guys, but they write funny. Those guys end up becoming writers, most of them, you know. Right, right. And uh, for like TV shows and stuff, but that was never really my skill. So when I wrote stuff, I, I found that I tended to write very like. I'd write something and then I'd go to a club and then someone would be like ah so and so's kind of got something like that and I go 
Yeah, so I would stop, and that kind of put me into a really a, a concerning thing where I was like, well, how do I find my own kind of voice and style in this? Because then it became everywhere, everyone that I opened up for. The next week, I was like, you know, adapting their really thing, not like not stealing material. No, no, no. It's but like for, just like I'd see. It's kind of like with I mean, bands to, when you tour with a band. Sure. To this day, I feel like I'm very much a hybrid of like my. The guys who mentored me the most, who really like took me under their wing and, and taught me about comedy and how to do it, was Patrice O'Neill, the late Patrice O'Neill, and uh, and David Tell, who still to this day is like a guy, you know, who call me. What are you doing? What do you? What's your next step? You know, what do you need help with? What That's you, amazing that you have his ear like that. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, he's a he's a genius. Genius. Absolutely, yeah. I agree. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm so like tightly woven into him, man. But it's uh, you know, he's a guy who. But but those guys came at a, at, a, at a different time, so I'd watch Patrice. But I remember I said to, to go back where I said I'd open for people and pick up their thing. Like I'd open for Dane Cook at Caroline's in New York for a weekend, and then you know the next two weeks, like all my jokes, like I'm doing a lot of pointing and like you know very posturing on stage, all the kind of the, the shit he does. Yeah. And then whoever it would be, you know, uh, I'd watch Brian Regan, and I'd kind of have some of his like mannerisms after that, or tell, or Patrice. But to this day, I mean, I sit on stage, I sit on a stool on stage. Um, and I really make the crowd. I force them with my energy to to, to, to come to me. It's kind of like Rollins standing come, in one spot. Yeah, yeah. I make Not yeah. I make I make them all come to me, and they will. And eventually, they kind of wonder. It's it's a it's a pissing contest. It's a chest out kind of like it's it's a, it's an alpha male thing where you put. Your, but but it's it's a calmness too. It's very zen because you're waiting. Like I just if you don't get nervous yeah. and you wait for them, eventually people are gonna want to know. It's like well, this guy really is like all right. He seems to. Yeah. Be pretty cool and collected. Because yeah. comics break all the time, you know, they get nervous. Yeah. But to um I can't even watch when that happens. Oh, I love it. I know you love it. <laughs> it's hard to watch. It's I like when I like watching bands break. That's see it's my Yeah, when they just like it. when they have like a meltdown. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course as I say it's your own whenever you're in your own yeah. field you're like because you know it's like uh it's almost like watching a, a, a football game, you know, when you're like, when you're watching your team lose, like, why would you have thrown the ball there? You know, it's yeah. the same thing. So I watch a guy who's just eating shit on an internet clip, and you're just like, how is he just letting this so happen? Be my favorite one, and I've talked about it uh, at length. And I feel bad. I never give the guy's name, but there's just an episode of uh, the worst comedy show of all time called Who Got Jokes. You ever heard of that show? <laughs> no. Bill Bellamy hosted it. It's on TV One in America. Right. It's called, and it's like a, which is a black network, I think, pretty much. But it's just a show where they bring out four comics from the black circuit, pretty much, almost exclusively. And then they have an audience, which is a pretty much black audience. And then they uh, just get four random audience members. This is the worst thing to do to comics. Could you imagine them doing this to bands? Four random audience members, or three. And they just have them judge this contest, basically. And the, it's two rounds. The first round, all the comics come out. And they uh, <laughs> they do a comedy, like a short comedy routine. It's always pretty shitty. It's always pretty much the same topics. It's very like you know hacky black circuit comedy. And these guys, these idiots in the audience, judge them poorly. They always give like fantastic scores for the most part. Yeah. And it just goes weird. And and then the round two is they always add in some. They call it the comedy skills round, <laughs> where they just add in some kind of. I've seen them do everything from they throw a pie in your face in the middle of your set. Like they have somebody come behind you and be like, excuse me, and you turn around, like you're doing comedy on TV, and you turn around confused and they hit you in the face with a pie and you expect it to continue on and oh, go with your right. jokes. Like, like, like
like a obstacle course or something. Yeah, yeah. Or then sometimes they have like a they have a planned heckler in the audience to yell yeah. out stuff, and it's just funny to watch. Jesus. So so people melt all the time, it's but torture. they but they always give them good scores. Yeah, yeah. For some reason, no matter what, but there was just one episode of this guy, and it was the only time I've ever seen. They did it in Vegas, and they had a celebrity judging panel, which consisted of Ray J. <laughs> Celebrity in quotes, I guess. Yeah. Ray J and a e girl. Love, from, e list. Yeah, 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 a girl from the Steve Harvey show, and like some some other. I can't remember the other girl uh, was from another show, maybe Cedric the Entertainer show or something. But it was just a a ridiculous panel, and this guy just comes out and he just bombs twice. And I, however many hits that thing had on YouTube, like four thousand had to be me because whenever I'm feeling down, I can just watch that because. I watch that like I'm screaming at the Super Bowl and my son's playing and losing. So I'm just like, how can you let Ray J shit on you? Because he was aggressively mean, Ray J, to this comic. And the guy just sits there with like a sour face like, oh, jeepers. And it's like, it's Ray. The guy's famous for one thing, man. Like he banged someone on video and he's Brandy's brother. Like, you can't find shit to make fun of this guy for. I mean, how easy would that be? Yeah. Sure, he's got a huge dick. You got to bow to that first, <laughs> see past it, as hard as that may sound, and move forward. But yeah, I do love. But you, you have a hard time watching comics. But I guess the same thing. I, I would have more of a hard time watching a I'll band. I'll sit there, but I'll sit there and I'll just go, "Oh, Jesus Christ!" They said the people here. Yeah, the people here the other day were. Yeah, you were talking about. Yeah, that. yeah. The, the the girl who was just sitting in here with us was telling us she was like, it just went. Brutal. Kept looking at his watch and everything, yeah. and it going bad, like. But I think that's a real mark. And I kind of learned that from Patrice was uh, anyone can kill on stage for a long time. You know what I mean? If you're killing, if the crowd is just hot and they're in every word you're saying, even if what you're saying normally doesn't do that well, you know, sometimes you have a crowd that's just jacked up and they're ready to laugh. The shittiest comic could murder for an hour and a half, two hours. The real test is like, how long can you sit up there confidently and, and not freak out when it's going shitty, that's much more of a tell of someone's character of a, of a good comic. Do you know what I mean? Like, yep. it's a, if it's not going good, it's the same when like uh, you know equipment dies mm -hmm. and you got nothing to do. You got to talk to the audience, and it's taken me years to to adapt that kind of real calmness. Yeah, and not start freaking out. I've seen bands when they freak out and they're just yelling at the roadies or they just fucking storm off stage. And I like I like that. To watch, yeah, yeah. Then I started talking to the audience. And That's why I used to see you have with uh, Marilyn Manson. That was a very classic Marilyn Manson thing. I'd see, I saw him so many times in concert. I'm like, yeah, you see, like, abusive to the roadies when something goes bad, and and, and no crowd interaction. You know what I mean? He has no like. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe it works for him in his image, but my my whole thing is to talk to the audience. My, sure. That's I, I see too many bands who don't really properly address an audience and make them know that, hey, look, like, we really want to be here. Yeah, and I really want to fucking rock out in I, front of you. I, there's a few I've uh, felt that. I mean, I think Rob Zombie does that. I think Rob Zombie makes it. He really talks to the crowd, and makes like a fun thing with them in the back and forth. You know, uh, it's cool. Watching uh, Phil, you know, Phil from oh, down. Phil's like, like, was Phil's just like, amazing at that. But I, yeah, it's funny. I only got a chance to see Pantera one time on the Reinventing the Steel tour, and I think he was like in bad shape then and like he didn't really connect with the audience very much awesome show live yeah. show but like I've never seen that 
rapport with the audience, really. So it was such a cool thing to get to watch that. And he is a very funny guy, naturally funny man. Yeah, so, that's what I'm saying. It seems like, a lot of people don't realize. Until, he's always scowling. Yeah, he's got the, which is, it's, it's an image, you know, but like, yeah. uh, which is cool. It makes for the music, you know. It's yeah. like, and there's also a thing about being intense about something doesn't make you like you know always across the board that kind of person you yeah. know what I mean like you could be intense on stage and yet still be like an okay guy I guess you know that's why it's, that's my fear of meeting Marilyn Manson which I think I told you is like if he's a douche it's gonna just bum me out and I have a feeling he probably is <laughs> there, there, there's something I know about you and um, about I, I, I think I can call him one of your heroes because he's one of mine uh, is Dice oh yeah um, Absolutely. Have you met Dice? I, <laughs> I have met Dice. You hear my girlfriend laughing over there because I got stoned one night, and just like it was not too long ago, and I wrote him like a I call it a love letter. It wasn't a love letter, but I just wrote some Facebook message that was very just like I don't even know what I was thinking. I've been I've been doing comedy way too long to do this. Like this is a year ago maybe, so I'm in comedy 14 years maybe 15 years of comedy. <laughs> And I've met and worked with the greats David and Tell. friends, yeah, Patrice David Tell, Tell right. friends, yeah, all these guys, like people right. I just know, and, and Dice just, and me just never really crossed paths, but a million people who we know together, who have, you know? I have. You know, who've crossed paths. Even I him. have. Even I have, some dude in well, a rock band. We've passed each other, you know, we've, 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 we've gone by, but we've never, no one's ever been like, Dice, Jay, Jay, Dice, yeah. and then we've had a conversation. It's never happened. So... Um, yeah, I wrote this, this letter to him. It was just the worst. Like, the worst thing a dude can do is to a like dude. What it, I think it is? It was just like... A, You're so cool, man. Basically. I was like... And then also, even worse, like giving a, like a, a comprehensive list of people he can check it, to, to see my legitimacy. I'm like, you can talk to Norton and Artie Lang and these guys and David Tell, all friends of mine that you could, uh, you know, vouch for me. He goes, we should do something together, man. We should. It's just like asking a guy to jam through Facebook. Yeah. And I'm like, we should. I don't even know what I expected him to, to say have been or high. do. You, know, you were yeah. out of your mind when you wrote this, right? Not, not out of my mind, just stoned, <laughs> just simply stoned, and feeling emotional. And uh, I sent it, and it was when I told people, I was like, oh, mistake, man. As soon as I sent it, I was like, that's weird. And then, uh, sure enough, the only lucky thing about that story is that uh, <laughs> uh, he didn't write back. It was a thing the next day, and she, clearly she wouldn't even wrote back, but she felt bad. It was like. Hey, this is like Jessica Dice's assistant. Like, I'm doing all of his web stuff for him. He doesn't really answer his own stuff. <laughs> she felt so bad about this heart pouring. Like, I'm like, well, just that was nice though. Because it was nice, yeah. but I, but I really gave it like a you know because like, he is Dice. And, I, and again, I, I say this. I don't know why I always got a disclaimer this because it sounds like I'm taking a shit on him. But I mean, as someone as I bet you have this with music. I bet some of your music, uh, like idols growing up. I bet when you see them perform now you see if nothing else like the holes in their game okay they're a little mean. they're a little yeah. soft on that even though i love them love them still and same thing with dice like i love dice I, i'm a sucker for us i got the news i, I dvr the new special on showtime yeah. and i go watch it and I, I watch it critically do you know what i mean but at the same time he when i watched him do comedy when i was a kid i was like man that just looks i didn't watch eddie murphy and be like i want to do that i watched it with a very like that makes me laugh i yeah, think he's yeah. funny Richard Pryor. When I watched Dice, I was like, "Oh man, like I, I'm, I got a dirty mind." You know, I'm a little kid. I was 12, 13 years old. I was like, and he's just saying everything I want to hear. Talking about tits to start off. I was like, "So I got my tongue up this chick's ass," and I'm like, yeah. "This is great." Yeah, I can't believe they're saying these things. 
So I loved it. Yeah, I always thought a he lot, was a, a lot of people don't like give Dice the credit, and they no. just even within the comedy community, I'm always trying to like vouch for him that like if you go deep on Dice, forget about the nursery rhymes and the you know all that like whatever Jack and Jill stuff. Sure, that's for like the people who kind of when you go deep on like Day the Laughter Died Part One and Two <laughs> yeah. and Filth like deep in those tracks, there is shit that is on par with Kinnison and Carlin and Pryor that all these people who like talk highly about comics and which one like Bob Newhart and Rickles fucking Dice is on par man that Dude, some of that fucking shit he the says the thing uh, and it's not even dirty no, like, the, even the non-dirty Day stuff Day the Laughter Died his commitment to that uh he just gets lost in that phrase. Our back, our get back, it? get it. That's the best that, that's, comedy. That's the best bit part of it in yeah. the world. Ever. It doesn't mean anything. <laughs> you, you, you're laughing. You don't even know what I'm talking about. Or <laughs> yeah, because there's conditions. Because the way he's saying it was such like a gusto. You know, I love that. It was like catch an hour, an hour back, get it. And the crowd's just like confused. <laughs> like, but they're laughing. It's, that made me laugh so hard. I laughed so hard. An hour back. And that's when I realized, like, that's. That this guy's a genius. Yeah, the 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 weirdness, and that the, has nothing to do with like, oh, I got some tips no. and all this. And the, and the thing about Daiso, with the the problem is he's an idea that kind of swallowed itself a little bit. It's almost like girls going wild at the same thing. It's like an idea that swallows itself, where yeah. it becomes a. He, to me, he never got the corny level that like a Larry the Cable Guy got. But it's just, Dice, unfortunately. It, is the same category, but I don't think people really realize that even. Like, Dice is a character. Not that people don't know he's a character, but he was a character of a stand-up routine. Like, Andrew, you know, Andrew Clay did yeah. Dice. Andrew Clay did Jerry Lewis. He was an impressionist. He, yeah. he really is like a, like a quintessential 80s comedian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, a, he's an 80s, you know, because all those guys, you know, Dice's instincts are to sing a song, Dance. I mean, all of his specials have incorporated some kind of acting where he plays the nerds in the beginning yep. and does that whole yep. thing, the story of Dice. It's essentially Larry the Cable Guy, but it's just like it was much more of a cooler character that right. people were able to latch on to. I thought the movie was hilarious. Like, I, I took the whole ride with him. Like, I thought he was uh, fantastic. He, to me, he, he can do no wrong, but, like, it's... Um, yeah, to, to get to me, I, I'd love to be, like, a tighter with him, you know what I mean? But, like, yeah. he's, he's a... Uh, I think he's great, and I said he, he, going back to like my first thing with him was his first, you know, uh, his first thing was that Dangerfield's special. You I've know? seen that, yeah. It's... The young comedian special. He, his hair was a little bit longer, but I mean that guy by trade wanted to be an actor. He had no interest in being a professional stand-up comedian. But he said, uh, I heard in that Stern interview. Did you ever hear that thing he said? Uh, he was telling it was it was his most recent one. Oh, where he said, uh, if it's recent, like two years, no. Yeah, I think it was it wasn't about the past two years, but he did a a thing where he said um, he did that Dangerfield special. I think it was like two years later he was selling out the Madison Square oh, Garden. Oh, that I heard. Yeah, I've heard all that overnight. Yeah, how crazy is that, yeah, man? It's crazy. What an amazing. I mean, that does, that does happen in music too, obviously, yeah. uh, in pop music. But but Dice wasn't pop music, man. Dice really was like an indie he's band. He's like a black making that metal happen. band. Yeah, like he's a black. Yeah, it's like. I mean, it was such a cool thing to see Something that Something X-rated, yeah, totally. I loved it. Like I said, you know, and it's a shame, like, uh, but the, the the hole you dig for yourself, and it's, to, to use Phil, uh, Phil Ensemble as, a, as an example again, like, 
if tomorrow it was like, well, yeah, like, that's my stage, my metal character. You know what I mean? Like, no, I'm I'm doing a show on home and garden TV about botany. You know what I mean? I'm all about, I like planting flowers. I'm all about, people be like, what the fuck? And, and, and Dice made that mistake, if you remember. Uh, I'm not sure how old you are, but when uh, he went on Arsenio Hall, yeah, uh, I remember Adventures that. of Ford Fairlane came out. Yeah, it was out of the theater in two weeks because the protests were so big. Which, at the end of the day, really is like very good publicity because people protested so much that it was out of they they removed it from theaters. And he went on Arsenio Hall, and rather than being like you know fuck you America you dumb cunts he he cried. He got bummed out. He, he, he got tears. I didn't see that. You can watch it on YouTube. He goes, uh, and then he does dicing. He got teary eyed. He just tries to give a speech. He goes, I'm just trying to make people laugh. You know what I mean? Like, and he and he he said it with no aggression. It was a complete like uh, soul bearing. You know, he just tried, and in the middle, he got choked up in the middle of his words, and then does like you know he flicked his jacket collar up and took a puff of the cigarette, and, 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 okay. and, and came back in. But, I mean, you can almost pinpoint that moment as the end of his, like, yeah. Madison Square right. Garden selling you. out thing. Like, But he was going without a compass. He was, he's the only one out there that far out into the ocean. You definitely know? He was trailblazing in that regard. There was always that thing where it was, like, him and Kinnison. I'm like, Kinnison's a different kind of comic. You know, he is Not in different. a bad way. Just avoided. Kinnison was... People put them on the same category, and they're not. Oh, man. Dice. Equally amazing. Yeah, absolutely. No, no argument there. But, but Dice was just like, uh, yeah, man. Um, Kinnison had to jump almost like genres to get his like the howlers. Do you know what I mean? The howling mad people by doing like you know he linked up with the rock stars and the wild yeah. thing and stuff. Like Dice, black and white. Just yeah, just just black drilled it himself, man. He was like, you know what? I'm gonna go out there and I'm gonna say cunt 50 times on an HBO special. And people are gonna fucking love it. And I and I and to go back to the very beginning of that is why I have such an affection for him. Is I just remember when I was ten years old, my mom started dating my stepfather, and uh, they were my mom was young. I have a young mom, so it was like a you know twenty nine year old dude in the house, and I'm ten, and it was just like you know I don't know how I felt about it. You know I was a little mm-hmm. it, it was changing things the way I knew them, and I was right. definitely kind of like rebelling about it. But like my step pop. Uh, his friend let him borrow the VHS of Dice Man Cometh, the first one he did with the big fuzzy dice behind him, and he comes out to uh, Whipping Post, the Almond Brothers. Okay. And he walks out, and uh, and we just watched that special. I got goosebumps just saying, um, and we watched that special, and that was like why it meant so much to me. Why I wrote that stupid letter to him was because when I went to school the next day, as far the best as my memory would tell me, like that's when people started thinking I was funny. Because that's where I was like, oh, like I'm gonna be funny like that. Like I'll just be the over the top. You put that in the face. Dirty. And, yeah, no, no, no. I didn't say no. No, I'm just saying like in the Facebook. The reason I was like, right, I, I wrote that like right. goofy letter to him, like you know we should really work together. Right, I'm a right. big fan. You're the reason I do comedy. And I, no, but I didn't say anything about my stepfather. But but that really is what it is. Like it's the thing. Like it, 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 me and him, I thought it was so cool that he let me listen to that. And watch. I don't. And, he, and I think he even gave me like a don't let your mom know. I let you watch yeah, this because yeah, right. it's so. It's a so bonding thing. Yeah, and it was yeah, just yeah. cool. And then uh. And then I got the cassette of Dice Rules was the next thing he did. Before I watched the actual video, I got the cassettes. I remember when it came out, it was, I remember the, the, the cover of the album was the, 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 the sparkly jacket, leather jacket yeah. with Dice written in the sparkles, yeah. the red sparkles. I have it. Yeah? The VHS. The VHS, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's so good. I, I had the audio cassette. It was a double cassette, Dice Rules. Right. And, uh, I have it now on CD. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and I put it in my, my boom box, you know, and I was like, uh, and to be how young I was, I mean, I was like, I would take a bath still sometimes, you know what I mean? Like, right. listen to Dice. Right. And like, play with toys, maybe, you know, G.I. Joe's or right. something, listen to Dice. Listen and I just like, it was so, I loved him. I thought, it was, yeah. Well, when I saw him, he, he came to Toronto to play um, Massey Hall. The opener was Don James. Oh, nice. And Don's friends were friends. Sure, so yeah, Don from Metal said, Show. Yeah. So come on out, you know, you can meet Dice and, you know, we can whatever hang. I'm like, ah, whatever. Maybe it's just going to be like five, ten minutes. I put Day the Laughter Died on vinyl in my bag. And then, you know, things happen, whatever. Maybe he did an hour. That's not short. That's good. That's, for that's me, he- I'm that- like, I could sit there for three sure. hours. Sure, but that's headline. That's headline. Yeah, it just hour. went by so fast. And then we're in back in the, uh, the, the dressing room and it's just me, Don, and his son. And Max. Max and Dice, the four of us. And Max is kind of his helping him out. So he's coming mm-hmm. in and out. And Dice launches into more material <laughs> that he never did. And it's just, and then mm. after that, we went back to the hotel, me and Don. And, and he goes, oh, you didn't get your record signed. And I said, that 15 minutes with Dice doing material. More worth it, yeah. Worth, and it, it, he was doing shit that just happened to him. Like personal stuff with his girlfriend. He was complaining to us. Yeah. And it was a real, it was like, I think it was real, but it seemed like a bit. You yeah. Know? And he, and but he it was real. Well, that's what's interesting about him to me is like, and I just talked about Joe Rogan about this too, is that um, he did make a choice at some point, which I think, I think probably happens in music too. Because... Especially when like major success hits, like I bet Axl Rose is a different human being now than he was when like you know I bet oh, when he yeah. I bet when he got I bet I bet when they got I bet when you know when they go we're gonna uh, you know we just wrote Welcome to the Jungle it's like well we're gonna play on the radio they're like wow neat to being yeah. like you know it's guy it's like I don't talk to people you know what I mean like stay away I'm I, sure he's had his the ultimate punishers over the years come and, up to him so. oh yeah, yeah and also just to kind of be like uh, which is the thing where it's like a guy who's like lives a certain kind of way like you know is, your personality takes on something yeah. and I think what's funny about Dice is like you know so I said the idea swallows up like Dice has become Dice Andrew, Andrew Silverstein's become Andrew Dice Clay I mean I've seen when I do see him he was at the comedy cell or a couple uh, months ago I guess it was now and and my girl was even like, well, just go introduce yourself. I'm like, ah, it's just weird to me to do it. I go, I want some. And Florentine was right there. And I was like, maybe Florentine will call me up. I think Florentine just assumes I know him. Yeah. It's, just, it's, a ra- yeah. it's so odd that him and Rogan were the two guys I, I, that I never like, really crossed paths with. So I just did Rogan's podcast. And uh, that's kind of out of the way now. But Dice and me just never really like had a thing where we connected at all. But, but watching him outside the cell where he's got the gray mutton chops... He wears those big, crazy, like, you know, Terminator glasses, sweatpants shorts, the Joey Buttafuoco cut tank, you know, the, the sweatshirt. And it's like the, the leather knuckle gloves and the whole thing. It's so... Uh, it's updated, but it's still him. Yeah, but, yeah. It's, so, but it's, it's just so funny that it's like that's how he just goes around. Like, he just lives life as dice now. That's like all day long. But uh, such a... You know, did, did you ever see Ford Fairlane? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, love that movie. I have it on DVD. I think yeah, it's great. Yeah. I think his impressions when he's falling, my hair, my hair. I've tried to like steer people, try to convert them. Yeah. I don't know if it works, but play them specific bits. And some people and just don't. They, they just, just don't, they won't get on board. They can't get on board. But it was fun, fun to chat with you guys, and, and fun to do the uh, podcast last night. Oh, Ralph's here as well, so thanks. You're a wearing lot. a Ralph Sutton shirt. <laughs> <laughs> 
Frankenstein. Christine said we just got to put bolts in your neck on, th- on uh, Thanksgiving. Let's just do it on Thanksgiving. Will you be Frankenstein for Thanksgiving? I meant I was going to say Halloween. <laughs> I started off going, I, I get the dynamic of the podcast, and here it is, right on ours. <laughs> I bust Ralph's balls, and then Ralph bees like my dad. <laughs> well, thanks, Jay. Thanks for Thank you for on. having me, man. We, we wanted to get you, like I told you when I met you a few days ago. Yeah. We wanted to get you when you came through Toronto. Um, the co-host, my co-host, Nick Flanagan, who's a comedian. Yeah. I think you guys have done the same I'm nights. sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's like, we should get this guy. So that's when I checked you out. And that was like a year ago and stuff. Nice. Yeah, let's get him. And then I'm like, oh, fuck. You live in Toronto, big. right? Yeah. No. I, go, I go to Toronto. I do comedy bar a lot oh, yeah, in Toronto. Yeah, yeah. So I don't do the improv nights. I do the stand-up nights Nick, there. Nick tells me who to see. Like, I'm, I'm like kind of like... The, the, the guy, your friend that you go, you got to come see this band, Metallica. <laughs> I'm the guy who gets brought. Do you, uh, let me give a plug to this place you should check out while you're in Toronto. Have you ever gone to the Underground Comedy Club, Clandestiny? Yeah, I have. I have. With the that one. is my favorite place. Yeah, yeah, I've been there to see Nick play. It's the only place where you perform and when you perform, a guy just passes out and there's a, a hippie girl rubbing his head going, shh. Just like they, they go, just a green out. Everyone's. Fu- I love that room. You can't bomb because you can't bomb. Yeah, it's so. above. Everyone just giggles and has a great time. I love, Toronto's one of my favorite cities to perform in. Absolutely. So I will see you there. Thanks, Jay, and I'll be there. Thank absolutely. you very much. Nope.